Father, you are so good, and we praise your holy name. Father, I thank you for the students, the children that are here today. Lord, I thank you for those who cried out to you and, and, and recognized their need of you, O oh God, this week. Father, I thank you for the salvation that has taken place. I thank you for what you have done. Now, Father, I pray this morning that as we worship, as we sing, as we worship and opening your word, Father, open our eyes. May we hear, may we see spiritually what you are speaking, and may we place it into our lives, O oh God. Oh, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we want nothing more than you to be glorified this morning. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I had the, uh, the privilege of, of helping with the, the music this week for Adventure Week, and, and all of our kids did such a, a great job, and they're going to share a little bit with you. So will you clap your hands, and they'll stand up, and we're going to sing our first song, Ask, Seek, Knock.
grow tired, even youth grow weary, and even young men stumble and fall. Even youth grow tired, even youth grow weary, and even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up, rise up. Those who hope in the Lord, rise up, rise up. Like eagles, rise, rise up, rise up. Those who hope in the Lord, rise up, rise up. Like eagles, rise. adventure week that ended with kids blitz and so these are just a handful of our kids who are here and I'm so excited today to share with you a couple of the songs that we learned. I also want to give a big thank you to all of you for your prayers for this week. They were uh, extremely important and meant a lot to us and also to all of those who served in any capacity this week. We had uh, over 50 people here serving this week in some capacity to love on and serve our kids. 
um, and plant seeds of faith. And so we learned that spending time with God is how we grow. We learned that spending time with others is how we care. Using our gifts is how we serve. And sharing our story is how we love. And so we're going to share with you a couple of the songs today. Um, My favorite being New Creation. I won't ruin it for you, but... Um, It's really what this whole week was all about, was how God makes us a new creation. Um, So we want to share that with you today. Thank you. He has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require? What does the Show you what is good, what does the Lord require? 
Didn't they do a great job? I love that song because it is, it is exactly the gospel. That each and every one of us that is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Wasn't it special to, to be able to hear the gospel out of the mouth of our, our 418 kids today? And that's just it. There's no age limit to, to being a worship leader. If you're in Christ, we're called to praise and He has saved us. We call Hosanna. God save us, we pray. And He did just that on the cross. Amen? Let's stand together and sing Hosanna this morning. Praise is rising. Washed away, washed away. 
the glory, great things He has done. among them giving us salvation, saving us from ourselves. We had nothing to bring. And everything on top of that is an extra blessing. Amen. If He's given you anything, He's given you grace. So I want to sing that chorus one more time together and be thinking about the ways that He has over and abundantly blessed you. Let's sing together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth And then uh, our pastor will come for a message today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything that you give us, Lord. We're so thankful. We had absolutely nothing to bring. We were lost in our own sin with no hope. But you gave us hope. Your plan from the beginning was redemption, Lord. And it was finished on that cross. We pray today that we would not get our strength from any other place but the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we would walk in the Holy Spirit, Lord, in this world that is so dark. We pray that we would be the light in you. That you would give us the strength to do good works. That we would just realize the identity that we have in Christ. Being a new creation. That we would walk in the way that we should walk. That we would act justly, love mercy. And walk humbly with you, our God. 
We love you and we praise you today and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was a joy to have our children proclaiming the gospel through song this morning. We had a wonderful, as I shared, adventure week. And, you know, there's just something special to see children proclaiming God's truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are so good. And we praise your holy name. And Father, I pray that if, there, if the enemy is trying to distract in any way from this word, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that that distraction would be removed. But Father, I also pray within our own hearts how easy it is to be distracted. Father, I am the chief of, of all of them. So Father, I pray that my heart would be in tune with your word. I pray that each of us would have a heart that has ears to hear and eyes to see what you are speaking. And Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would meet with us in this place. As we shared last week, may we mourn over the sin in our life and rejoice in the freedom and comfort that comes through Christ our Lord. Now, Father, we love you. We praise you. I ask that you would put me on the front row, O oh God, and let me just hear what you are speaking, that I may place it in my life as well. Father, we love you. It's in your precious and holy name. The name above all names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we have been in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please open to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. So we have taken two weeks on the first two Beatitudes, and so today we're going to look at the third Beatitude. It says this in verse 5 of Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are the gentle, for some of you it says blessed are the meek. It says, for they shall inherit the earth. Now we are taking these one by one slowly for a purpose because there's so much spiritual truth packed into these few little words. Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those that uh, recognize that they have nothing to bring. Those who recognize that they have a poverty of spirit and are in need of a Savior. It says, and they shall... Be part of the kingdom of God. And then he goes in and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Now we talked last week about how we're called to mourn, not necessarily in this passage about the passing of someone, but we are to mourn over the sin that has separated us from holy God. And what does mourning over sin do? But it leads to repentance. It leads to us falling on our face before God and repenting of our sin, which repentance is a complete 180, turn away from and go the other direction. He says, and you shall be comforted. We taught last week how comfort comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have been forgiven, that he places his righteousness upon us, that when we stand before the throne of God, he does not see our filthy rags or our sin, but yet he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Now today, we go into blessed are the meek as I remind you that these are in order for a purpose. God has order, and he put these together in order for a purpose. First, we kind of see salvation. And after salvation, the sanctification process of us mourning over our sin and repenting of that, and now this transformation of now seeing meek, humility, gentleness coming forth from us. But as I've shared each week, and I say it again today, the being in Christ must come before the doing in Christ. These characteristics that we are seeing, poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, gentleness or meekness, all comes because you are already in Christ Jesus. These are not characteristics that you do in order to be a Christian. These are characteristics that come from those who are in Christ Jesus, who are born again. If you try to do these without being filled by the Holy Spirit, without knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, without the transformation of the heart through Christ Jesus, then you will build religion and legalism. We can't do it, but the Holy Spirit does it in and through us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're going to first take blessed are the meek. And let's look at that. What does meek or gentleness or uh, humble mean? In the Greek, this means mildness, gentleness of spirit, or as many of you know, humility or humble. I put it this way. It's the opposite of pride. See, Jesus has been showing us that his kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. Last week I shared with you that his kingdom is like upside down compared to the world's kingdom. Right? We talked about how poverty of spirit doesn't make sense in our worldly setting. Mourning doesn't make sense in our, in our worldly setting. And now he's calling them to be meek. See, the world says that we're called to be strong. That we, we want power and conquest. We can't show any form of weakness. But Jesus says that he's called us to be humble. He's called us to think of others more than ourselves. He's called us to have a teachable spirit. Danny Aiken says it this way. He says, meek people are those who say, not my will, but your will be done. They give the Lord Jesus a blank check and diligently ask him to fill in as he chooses. A meek person is not a weak person, but a strong person in Christ. Another author says it this way, that it's a paradoxical power of this passage that meekness is actually equated with or equals strength. See, we are weak in of ourselves, but in Christ we are strong. The Lord's work in one who comes to God in total trust and complete surrender is powerful. So I've broken this idea of what is true meekness into four things today. So we're going to look at these four things of what is true meekness. Now there are many more that I could add to this, but these are the four the Lord has put on my heart to bring to you today. First, true meekness comes when we have a rightful view of ourselves. True meekness comes when we have a rightful view of ourselves. Now you may say, David, that's pretty close to poverty of spirit. Absolutely. We need to always recognize and, and have a correct view of who we are. Now, let me remind you who we are. We're sinners. We're in need of a Savior. But praise God, Ephesians 2.8 says that we are sinners saved 
by grace. Let me remind you that in John 15, 5, as I've quoted almost every week, that Jesus says that apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. So let me tell you who we are. We are people of poverty of spirit, who can do nothing in our own strength, who are sinners in need of a Savior. But praise God, it doesn't stop there. If all we focused in on who we were or who we are without Christ Jesus, then we would be uh, most pitied. We need to wallow in our self-pity. And we, we could easily say, man, like David, all you're going to tell us is that we're sinners and, and that's it? But we go on and, and see true meekness as not just recognizing who we are, but now recognizing who we are in Christ Jesus. See, the rightful view of who we are in Christ Jesus is not a place of weakness, but of a place of strength. See, apart from Jesus, we're nothing. But in Christ Jesus, I'm chosen. I'm adopted. I've been forgiven. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed. I'm secure. I'm redeemed. I'm filled with his presence. As the kids sang, I'm a new creation. I have an inheritance. I have a purpose. Church, true meekness is recognizing that without God, we're nothing. But with God, we are all that he has called us to be by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us. I love what John Newton said. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Church, do we recognize that true meekness comes when we recognize that we are nothing without God? But praise God, as John said, I must decrease and he increases in us. So when we recognize who we truly are in Christ Jesus and who we truly are if we're not in Christ Jesus, then true meekness will say, not my will, but God's will. If we truly recognize that we are nothing without Christ, then true humility would be to lay down our will before God and say, not my will, but your will. Let your will be done in my life. Is that not what Jesus spoke in the garden? Did he not say, not my will, but yours? Let it be your will, O God. Now, let me be very careful. This is not a have to. This is not legalistic. This is a want to. See, when you come to recognize that we are nothing without God, and when our will, our purpose in life outside of God is to build a kingdom that will be destroyed, that will be worthless. What does it gain a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul, right? He who builds his house upon the sand, mighty is his fall, right? When we recognize that apart from Christ, it's all worthless. But when we recognize that if we humble ourselves before God and let Him have His perfect way and His will in and through our lives, then we realize that, that we are now doing things that are eternal. And it's not a have to, but it's a longing, it's a desire. One of the things Brother Fred said to me often is he said, David, God changed my want to. He changed my want to. My want to changed. 
I used to want to do all these other things, but then I came to know Christ and I recognized that in Him I've been blessed, I'm adopted, I've been chosen, I've been set free, I've been redeemed, I've been saved, I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And because of all of that, I am so overwhelmed by His goodness, by His grace, that I want to serve God with all my life. See, what Brother Fred was saying in that moment is that his desire, God's desire, became his desire. God's desire for Brother Fred's life, for for my life, for your life, has to become our desire. What I'm saying is, is that we get to a place where we say, God, we recognize that you are almighty, king of kings. We humble ourselves and our desire in life is your desire. All that you want, everything that you want for me is what I want to do for you, O God. See, Jesus even, or excuse me, God speaks this in Psalm 37, verse 4. Many of you know the second half, but do we know the first half? Many of us know, and he will give us the desires of our heart. And we speak that sometimes, and we misquote that sometimes. Well, I've been praying about this, and God says he'll give the desires of my heart, so this must be what I'm supposed to do. But the first part of it says, delight yourself in the Lord. See, our want to changes... True meekness is laying our will down and saying, God, not my will, but your will. As we delight, here's that word again, as we abide, as we dwell, God changes the desire of our heart from our personal kingdom, from the worldly things uh, that, that, that keep coming in our mind. To the sins of this world. And he changes our desires to his kingdom. And what are those? Well, it's for us to live the new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit to reflect his image and his character. It's for us to go share with everybody in this city that Jesus Christ died for all. It's for us to go and to proclaim throughout this world that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. See, my desires change when I humble myself and say, not my will, but your will. You know, Paul spoke this very clearly in the book of Philippians. He says this in Philippians 3, and I wasn't going to read the whole thing, but maybe I will. Verses 7 through 14, you can write that down in case I don't read all of it. But he said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss." For the sake of Christ. Let me just tell you what he's saying. Y'all know this passage. Many of you have read it. You may have it memorized. All the things of this world that I had gained. Everything that was part of my will. My plans. My life. I realized is worthless. He says later that I, I count it as garbage. All my will. All my plans. I lay down. And he said, no, I'm going to pick up God's will, his plan, that I may run for him. He even says at the end of this passage, he says, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus, verse 14. He says, I have laid my will down. It's worthless. All these things that I have sought and and wanted and fought for, it, it means nothing in comparison to know God, to know him. To know him in his death, his resurrection. To know him in his suffering and the pain. He says, I press on to this one thing. And that is to know Christ, the upward calling of God. Church, do we recognize first that meekness is having a true understanding 
of who we are. And that true meekness is saying, in recognizing that I'm nothing without Christ, I humble my will before you and say, Father, not my will, but your will. But then, true meekness, there's two things that, 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 that the Lord put on me that will come forth from our life. And one is that when you are truly meek and walk in humility, you're teachable. You have a teachable spirit. Now, this is tough. This is very tough. One who has a teachable spirit is one who allows somebody to speak into their life without interrupting and without defense. One who can hear reproof, biblical reproof, not somebody's opinion, but biblical reproof, and they don't just simply walk in defense and trying to say, oh no, like, like, like let me explain, let me, all this just listening to what's being said. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I read from, from this book last week, and I want to read again. I just lost my page. There it is, page 57. He says this. He says, When a man becomes meek, he is finished with all of this. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we see that there is nothing worth defending. So we are not on the defense, all that's gone. The man who is truly meek does not pity himself. He's never sorry for himself. Wow. What he's saying here is that when we recognize, hey, there's nothing in me to defend. Because without Christ, I can do nothing. But in Christ, we recognize that we are adopted, chosen, that we are forgiven, that we've been redeemed, that we've been set free. And you say, but David, this is really hard. Like, you mean to tell me that, that, that you just need to listen when somebody is speaking and, and, and not interrupt when they say something that may not even be true? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus on trial for blaspheming against God. And he stood there. He stood there. And when, was, when he was asked, are you the son of God? He says, it is as you say. I love what he said in the garden when somebody, they walked up and they said that we're looking for Jesus and he says, I am he, and they all fell over. But church, what did Jesus do? Why did Jesus, why did he not defend himself in that moment? I believe it's because God knew Jesus' heart. God knew him. God knew that he was the perfect lamb. God knew that there was no sin in him. And I believe that Jesus was saying that God is the only one that matters. Church, if we truly are walking in meekness, then we don't sit there and, and try to people please and defend and all these different things. No, what we do is we say, God knows my heart and that's all that matters. God knows my heart. God knows your heart. It says in the scripture, he knows your heart better than you know your own heart. Psalm 139. He knows us better than we do. And you say, David, this is really, really hard. Let me tell you just a practical way that I, I deal with this. Because people share with me, 
thoughts, opinions. They share with me things. They, they share with me, you know. And so here's what I do. When somebody shares something, I, I do my best to listen. Now, can I tell you there's times that I interrupt? Absolutely. And I ask God to forgive me in that moment. Are there times that I run to defense? Absolutely, because I'm human. Though I seek the Lord and ask him to grow me. But what I do is I listen to what's being said and then I go to a, if I can't see something in that, that that the Lord is showing me that's truth that I need to put in my life, I will go to a brother in Christ who knows me very well, who does life with me, and I say, listen, I'm not going to tell you who or how it was said, but this was spoken and I want to know, do you see this in my life? Because if so, I'm blinded to it and I want to repent. And if my brother says, yes, I, I, I see that in your life, this person has a great point, this person is given a reproof from God, then I fall on my face in tears before holy God and I mourn over the sin in my life. But if my brother says, no, I, I don't see that, David, then I lay it down and I continue forward for the kingdom of God. See, what we often do is we begin to build up inside of us a frustration we begin to build up inside of us that, well, I can't believe that that person would have said this or that. Listen, we are all fallen people. Can I remind you what we all said last week? We all said together that we are all a work under construction. So we need to also give grace to those who come and speak to us in our lives, recognizing that they too are work under construction just as much as I am and you are. True meekness is recognizing that, that, that we, we need to be teachable. That we're willing to listen and not say, well, I've got it all together, so I don't need to hear anybody else's idea or thought or what they're speaking. Or I've got it all together, and so nobody needs to give me a, a, a reproof. Who are we to say that? We're nothing without Christ, church. But then true meekness thinks of others more than themselves. True meekness thinks of others more than themselves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another more important than yourself. So do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Now let me stop and tell you this. If you're not abiding and dwelling in Christ first, you'll never be able to put others before yourself. You'll never be able to look out for other people's interests. It's not in our humanity to do that. It's not in our natural fallen brokenness to put others before ourselves. It's natural in us to say, how can I gain? How can I get ahead? What do I need to say or do to put me in the best position to gain? So when it says, think of others more than yourself here, that doesn't mean that you don't take time to dwell in God's word. It doesn't mean, well, well, I don't have, I, I can't take time to abide and to dwell and to delight in God because I need to go help this person. If you're not abiding and dwelling and delighting, then you're not going to be able to go and truly provide, according to the word of God, spiritual help in that time of need. But as we're abiding, as we're dwelling in Christ, we see meekness, thinking of others more than ourself. The Old Testament, there's a couple men of faith and women of faith that we see that, that exemplify this meekness. Moses was one. But think about Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot get to the land and Abraham says to Lot, what does he say? You choose. 
You pick which, where you want to settle. And I'm willing to go to the other. What about David and his relationship with Saul? David was anointed to be king of Israel. Anointed to be king of Israel, but Saul was still the king. And what did David do? I love this. You know, David was anointed by uh, Samuel to be king, and he didn't go to like the, the kingly shop to start fight, figuring out, hey, I'm going to get this crown, and I'm going to have this armor. No, he didn't go like down to the shop to try to figure out what he's going to get. He went right back to the shepherd field until God said his time. What did he do with Saul? He served him. He served Saul. And then when Saul wanted to kill him, he hid, obviously, but when he had the opportunity to kill him in the cave, what did he do? He didn't kill him. He took that little piece of, of his robe to ultimately show him, but here's the thing, he didn't kill him. Why? Because he was thinking of others more than himself. He was being meek, humble, lowly of heart. What about Paul in the New Testament? Oh, I love Romans 9, 1-5. Paul says this, I'm telling you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish, for I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, who are the father who are whose are the fathers, and whom and from whom is the is the Christ according to the flesh. He said, I would wish that I could even be a curse separated so that you could come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you imagine saying that? Can you imagine saying, let me tell you how it looks today. Father, I'm willing to lay down my life to go share the gospel with someone else. Father, I'm willing to give up every comfort, creature comforts that we have. I'm willing to give up everything I have to go share the gospel with other people. Paul says, hey, I'm willing to even be a curse that people would know. You talk about thinking of others more than yourself but then we have the ultimate example of this in philippians 2 verse 5 through 8 and that's jesus having this attitude in yourself which was also in christ jesus who exalted who although he existed in the form of god did not regard equality with god a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in the appearance of a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant in order to take upon him our sin so that we may be set free. Church, I love that song. I don't know who sings it. I can tell you next week if you need to know. But it says... He, Jesus, had me on his mind. That Jesus had me on his mind when he went to the cross. That he was thinking about you and he was thinking about me. And so when he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done, it was that he said, God, I want to do your will. And God's will was for him to die on the cross for you and for me. Jesus is the ultimate example of being meek, humble, and saying, I'm going to think of others more than myself.
So when he says, blessed are the meek, he's saying, blessed are those who reflect the image and character of God. Those who reflect the image and character of Jesus. Even verse 5 of Philippians 2 says, have the attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. So church, we see here that meekness is understanding who we are. First off, who we are without Christ and praise God who we are in Christ. Meekness is being uh, understanding who we are, but also being willing to be teachable. Meekness is saying not my will, but God's will. And meekness is thinking of others more than yourself. But then he gives this reward. Those who are gentle, those who are meek, those who are humble, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. Now, that is a very confusing statement. And there's two major views, and I think both of them are correct. We'll get to those, but before we do, let's look at this word inherit. They will inherit the earth. When somebody inherits something, it wasn't because they deserved it. It wasn't because they earned it. When somebody receives an inheritance, it's because the one who has that is bestowing it upon someone else. So when God says, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, it's not because the meek deserve it, it's not because they've earned it, it's not because they've worked for it, but it's out of God's grace, it's out of His mercy, it's out of His love that He provides, that He gives that inheritance. So what is this inheritance? Well, there's two views. First, it's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. We read Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and we're going to see this again even next week. It says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. But then look at what it says in verse 7. We read this all last week, but in verse 7 it says this. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Church, one of the things that is talking about inheriting the earth, he's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. It's talking about things that are to come. Yes, I do believe that this is uh, focusing also on the future of what's going to happen. But it's also right here right now. And and let me explain that to you. When we are filled by the Holy Spirit of promise, when our lives are transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now children of the Most High God. And God tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 that he has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. He's given those who are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. We see in Ephesians 1 that when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've gone through that for weeks, talking about what those blessings, none of those were material blessings. They're all spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon us. 
So we see we have everything we need on this earth to live a life of godliness. We recognize that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So we can say the same that Paul said, though I have nothing, I have everything. Church, think about this for a moment. Paul spoke many times about how he learned to be fulfilled in Christ on this earth. That when he had just a little bit, he knew how to be content because he was in Christ. When he had everything that this world offered, he knew how to be content because he was in Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Though I have nothing, I have everything. Go find somebody in this world who has all the money in the world. Very, 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 very wealthy. Go find somebody who's not a believer in Christ. And I guarantee you they cannot find true joy, true peace. They will tell you that money can buy a lot of things, but it truly cannot buy peace to their soul. So how do we inherit the earth as a born-again believer? Yes, it is to come in the new heaven and the new earth. But it's also here right now because we have more and, and we have everything that we need than any person who does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We can walk through this life with joy, with peace, with a purpose, with a reason for living that this world is looking for. Though I have nothing. I have everything. And the two verses that we mentioned in the scripture, or in, in the message, in Mark 8, where Jesus says, if you want to save yourself, you're going to have to lose it. What does it gain a man to have everything but lose his soul? What does it gain a man to think that he has everything on this earth, but really he has nothing? But those that the world says has nothing on this earth really has everything. And what about Matthew 7? He who hears God's words and obeys them builds his house upon the rock. Though the world says he has nothing, when the winds come and the floods come and the rains come, it stands. But the world who hears and does not obey, and the world says they have everything, but yet they're building upon the sand when the winds and the rains and everything comes their way. What happens? Great is its fall. And I think it actually says mighty is their fall. See, when it says that the gentle, the meek, the humble, when it says they will inherit the earth, it's saying they will have true joy and peace and everything that they need on this earth. But yet... Those who are not, the proud, prideful, great will be their fall. So church, as we look at this beatitude, are we meek? Do we walk in gentleness and humility? Do we look around us? As it says in Galatians chapter 6, it tells us to do good to all people, especially the household of faith. Do we think of others more than ourselves? Are we so focused on getting ahead that we're missing the needs and the hurts and the pains all around us? Are we saying, God, not my will, but your will be done? Are we willing to be teachable instead of saying, I've got it all together? But yet we say, no, I, I'm willing to be teachable because I want to grow in Christ. 
Are we willing to say, God, we recognize that we're nothing without you. And in doing so, God says, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. Though the world says you have nothing or little, you have everything because you have true joy and true peace. As we close the day, I ask you, do you walk in humility? Happy are the meek, happy are the gentle, happy are the humble. For they inherit the earth, they have everything they need. Can we say today that we are blessed because we realize we're nothing without Christ, but in Him we're strong. Church, I pray that we would let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and show us if there's any area where we're not walking in humility. And church, would we fall on our face and cry out to God? But you may be here today and you may say, David, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, the natural response for somebody who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior is to look out for themselves, is to be prideful, to be focused in on how they can protect themselves. And let me tell you, the only way that you can protect yourself is by humbling yourself before God. 